Good evening. It's fitting that we do say good evening this evening, for this is Good Friday. It might not seem like it should be, even in this moment now that the last candle is extinguished behind us. We come together on this evening that seemed like it was the darkest day in human history, the death of the Son of God. What's worse, it wasn't an accidental death. It wasn't just a death at the hands of the Romans. No, rather, the darkness that is surrounding Jesus this night is suffocating. He's surrounded on all sides. Looking through all the different groups that we read about here this evening, I bet you will be able to spot yourself among one of them. Is it Peter, who denied him the crowds, who scoffed at him, the Romans who are indifferent to his suffering, the Pharisees who looked like they were the religious ones and yet wanted him gone. These crowds are invested in seeing the public shaming of Jesus, whom they called a false Messiah. Their anger was kindled against him. He had failed to deliver them from the Romans. The excitement about Jesus the week before now only exacerbated their anger. When you promise God's presence among the nations, you deserve hell if you've lied. Surprisingly, these crowds hadn't yet had their fill of revenge. They were present for the flogging, a flogging of unimaginable pain. They wanted to see the job completed. Besides the common Jewish peasant, the elite class of the Jews, the priests and the scribes and the Pharisees were also there gathered. Ironically, they're present at this spectacle in their full priestly garments, most of them in white. In just a few hours, they're going to lead the people of Israel in Passover celebrations, celebrations of joy and deliverance. Little did they know that the real spotless lamb was being sacrificed before their very eyes to the sounds of their jeers. The Roman legionnaires were too gathered and mocking him. They weren't put off by the show. This was normal operating procedure for them. They were callous to crucifixions. Their leader, too, a centurion, had most likely presided over tens, if not hundreds of them before. They likely didn't flinch, driving the nine-inch nails through Jesus' hands and feet. Even one of the criminals, justly condemned and hanging near him, ridiculed him. He may have been frustrated that Jesus' deliverance didn't come soon enough for him to be taken off the cross. Possibly he had a morbid satisfaction that there was another who would absorb the hatred of the crowds instead of him. It's right that the gospel writers go back to Psalm 22 to understand this scene. Dogs encompass me, it says. A company of evildoers surround me. They have pierced my hands and feet. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. And yet we still call this day good. In thinking about Jesus' death this week, particularly with the backdrop of the Covenant School shooting in Nashville, my mind keeps going back to the fragility of life. The Greeks used to represent our lives as one small thread that, be, that could be cut by the fates at any given moment. Any one of many points of failure and the cord is severed. There might be a blockage in the left anterior descending artery. 
One weak point in a levee that was holding the waters back. A momentary glance at a text message when you're driving your car. A latch accidentally left unlocked around a pool. A brake line failure. A missed red light. A slightly opened package. Or one unguarded door into a school full of children. It's because of the fragility of life. It's because of the fragility of life that we need to gather around a death that we can actually call good. Because something happens here that changes death forever. That change starts at noon on the fateful day, just about the time when the sun would have been the brightest in the sky. All of a sudden, everything goes dark. The foreboding is less for Jesus. He knows what's going to happen. Rather, it's those gathered there who start to wonder. They start to feel uneasy. The other Gospels tell us that an earthquake also hits at this time. Then the curtain of the temple is torn in two as if the very hand of God is ripping it from the top to the bottom. These signs were not enough. The Roman centurion cues us in. In crucifixions, you die slowly of asphyxiation, your body sagging and you unable to even take but a sip of breath as you die with a whimper. But not this one. What do we see in verse 46? Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. This death was not normal. Centurion does recognize it right away in verse 47. Now, when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. He didn't need to be a prophet to understand the signs. The crowds noticed too, gathering for a spectacle, a jaunt to Golgotha. Now they were struck with deep shame, returning to their homes, beating their breasts in repentance. Why? What did they see that brought them to shame? You see, death too has one fatal flaw. Death has a single point of failure. It cannot hold a fully innocent human being. Everyone gathered around Jesus deserves to die, but Jesus didn't. Listen to what Peter tells his listeners at Pentecost, grasping the full weight of what has happened just 50 days before. But God raised Jesus up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. The unjust death of the innocent Son of God, has dealt a coup de grace to death itself. The cross of Christ is the defeat of death, the innocent for the guilty, the living one for the dead ones. Now when we meet death by faith in the Son of God and His death for us, death really is a facade. It looks ironclad, but the walls are crumbling down. We gather on the Friday of Holy Week to remember this same scene every year because we believe that in the midst of all this darkness and all this sin and all this sadness, there is something good. Jesus' death defeated death. In one sense, all of our lives are lived in between Good Friday and Easter Sunday because it's incumbent on all of us to ask ourselves, 
will the wall of death really come crashing down on the last Easter Sunday? Will my death, the death of my loved ones, be the end? Or has Jesus really defeated sin and death so that my death is but an entrance into life everlasting? Today, he says, you will be with me in paradise. I don't believe that we're going to get an answer to that without coming to the cross of Christ. Charles Spurgeon said this, many have come under the sound of the gospel resolved to scoff, but they have returned to pray. We're called tonight to gather at this death so that death and the sin that leads to death might be emptied of its power over you. In God's amazing providence, we received this candle holder that you see right here that are holding those seven candles about a month ago from Covenant Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee. It was their gift to us to help us in our Good Friday observance. There was no way to know what events would soon unfold there at their school. But what a gift it is to us. This token reminding us of our ultimate hope. Dear friends, this is what you need to know. In the face of unspeakable tragedy, go back to the foot of the cross, not mocking or jeering, but in repentance and prayer, and believe that Jesus has dealt the final blow to death. The grass withers and the flowers fade. Our earthly lives are but a vapor, a mist that appears for a moment and then vanishes. But the Word of God and the work of Christ and the life of the saints of God will last forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do pray that you would help us. Help us to believe in this death of death. Help us to know deep in our soul that though we came mocking and jeering and denying and running from you, you have called us to look and to see an end to sin, an end to sadness, and an end to death itself. Lead us from the cross to the empty tomb. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.